Well, this morning, um, we're going to actually be in Acts. I know Charles has been going through Acts, and uh, I've been thinking about this section for quite some time, so I don't want to steal his thunder, but (laughs) um, we're going to be in Acts 4, so it'll be a little while before he gets to that anyways. So, and... And I'm not going to do as condensed of a, you know, couple verses really in depth there. But uh, um, let's turn to Acts four thirteen through twenty two. Um, last weekend, I think it was last weekend, um, when I'm driving a lot, I have a, a Bible app that I can I can. Uh, do audio Bible, and then uh, listen to it, Bluetooth it over my radio. So um, when you're doing, you know, six, ten hours in a vehicle, you can cover a lot of scripture. So I got through Acts and Romans last weekend, and uh, it just struck me about in Acts, the, the first couple chapters of how timid the new church is, you know, how they're they're still kind of in hiding. They don't really know what's going on, and, and then then uh, they they spend time with Christ, and then the Holy Spirit's put on them, and then it's just like all of a sudden they're going out, and and they've got the power there, and so um, so that leads us into this this chapter of Acts four, and beginning with Acts uh, with chat with verse thirteen. <clears throat> It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened, for the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So Peter and John had just healed a man, and it was just, it was a miracle. Everyone recognized it was a miracle. The, the religious council brought them in. Uh, they knew it was a miracle. They knew they couldn't, they wanted to punish them because they were speaking in the name of, of Jesus, but they couldn't because they were afraid of the crowd because it was, it was obviously a miracle. This man had been, been lame for 40 years, and so uh, they just turned him loose. They, they yelled at him, told him, quit, quit preaching in this name, and, and turned him loose. Um, this is just kind of the intro into it. Uh, the whole idea here is about boldness in perilous times. And so as the, the church was young there, these were very perilous times for those believers. Um, it's also hard to ignore that today it's a perilous time to be a Christian. Um, if we look at 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, he describes the, the 
end age. And it says, but I understand this, that in these last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Um, That sounds pretty familiar given what's going on right now. Uh, There's uh, riots again in St. Louis. Um, It it doesn't seem to be quite as bad as during the Ferguson uh, time, but uh, there's riots going on, there's riots going on. Just about any time you have somebody in disagreement with somebody else anymore. It seems like we've got riots and looting and and uh, uh, we've got a government loving itself, proud, arrogant, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, uh, children in opposition to their parents. Um, in many places, preaching against immorality has become a punishable offense, uh, hate speech. So these are perilous times indeed, but it shouldn't surprise us that the world hates the word of God, because the world is at enmity with the Lord Jesus. So, um, that shouldn't surprise us. What may be surprising is in Second Timothy, that warning is also a warning to those in the church to look out for that occurring amongst the congregation. Um, in perilous times, the church building will be filled with people more intent on pleasing themselves than pleasing the Lord. And we see that today with uh, multiple denominations that uh, promote homosexuality among the clergy. Uh, they, have, they have homosexual pastors that uh, they promote homosexual marriage. Uh, they deny the inerrancy of scripture. Uh, they're turning to mysticism and other forms of spirituality. Uh, that's, that's rampant among many denominations now. So how do we remain bold in the face of this peril? The apostles Peter and John experienced imprisonment by their government and persecution by their religious leaders because they would not stop preaching in the name of Jesus. So let's carry on in Acts, uh, starting in verse 23 there. So what did they do? When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So there's four reactions Peter and John had to their arrest and persecution from this this section of Scripture, and that's what I'm going to go through. 
The first one, if you're taking notes, is they gathered together. If we look at verse 23, it says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. So the first thing the apostles did was return to their fellow believers. Uh, Whether it was the other ten apostles or the company of 120 believers, or it was unlikely the whole 8,000 of the new church, but it was a group of believers. They returned to them. Uh, their, re- their first re- action was to return to the faithful and give witness about what happened. They didn't run to the local media. They didn't run to a lawyer. They ran home to their church family. So the real church, the bride of Christ, is your family. When we say brothers and sisters, that is, that is literally what we mean. The church is more than a team, more than a social group, more than a civic obligation. If we look at Hebrews 10:24 through 25, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day signifies the day of the Lord, which is the return of Christ. That day has been approaching since Christ's ascension, and that day is drawing near each day, every day. As it draws near, we must meet together. Why? To stir each other up to love and good works. So the point here is, in times of peril, we must turn to our church family and not away from it. The second thing they did, they prayed in one voice. If we look at verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. They lifted their voices together to God. The response of the body of believers is beautiful. They pray together in one voice. There was unity in their prayer. The inspiration of God the Holy Spirit caused their petitions to be of one accord. If we look in Philippians 2, 1 through 2, give you time to turn to that if you want to. It says, so if... If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. God is not pleased with chaos and division. We are called to be of one accord. It is through his power alone that we can be unified. So the point here is, in times of peril, we must be unified. The next thing they did, they prayed in a specific manner. So if we look at verse 24, going back to there, said, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So they recognized God's authority here. The Lord God made everything and knows everything. He has all power and all knowledge and is all present. He is sovereign. That means nothing occurs anywhere at any time outside of God's preordained will. We skip down to verse 28. It says, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So this is comforting. This is comforting to Peter and John. It's comforting to the new church and should be comforting to us as believers. The fact that God is sovereign. Peter and John and the rest of the early church just saw Christ crucified, resurrected, and then ascended. 
And now the authorities were threatening them for preaching and healing in the name of Jesus. They saw it and they said, we can't help but speak of this name. They knew they had to speak of it. They saw all this take place. They were comforted because they knew God was in control. So they recognized God's authority. Even if our government is unable to function, even if the markets are crashing, even if unemployment is high, even if we are arrested for preaching the name of Jesus, God is in control. Everything that is happening is to accomplish his good and perfect will. That's, that's paramount. He is in control. The next thing they did, they based their prayer on God's word. Going to verse 25. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. How did the church know that God is sovereign? How do we know that he's sovereign? That's a Sometimes your kids ask you, how do you know that, that God's going to do this? Or how do you know that's going to happen? What's the answer? They knew the word of God. Um, just a little side note, I was, Adeline got this new Bible, and it's kind of like a, it's the entire story of scripture, of, of Jesus. It's all pointing to, to Christ throughout from Genesis 1 on. And, you know, it's a children's Bible, so it kind of really summarizes Genesis and these things. But as I'm reading this to Adeline, uh, we, we finish reading, we're talking about it, and I'm explaining to her, I said, did you know that these are real stories? This isn't, this isn't you know, a, a fairy tale book. This isn't just, just things that are nice to read about. I said, this, is, this really happened. Abraham was a real man. You know, Noah was a real man. These things happened. And this shows us that, that these things happened, and God said this would happen, and it did. And look how he took care of his people. It's a, there's a reality there. When you know the word of God, you understand this. You, you see that, that uh, you know that God is sovereign. So if we look at Psalm 119, 9 through 16, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. A few years ago, um, maybe maybe even a decade ago, there was a book that came out called uh, Heaven is for Real. Did anybody hear about that book? Um, it's about a, a little boy who supposedly had died and went to heaven and saw all these things and came back. Um, came back to life, and he, he brought this message of hope. And it sold millions of copies, and they even made a movie based on the book. And um, 
I even heard of many churches that there was a Sunday school lesson that went along with it. Um, many different churches that were using the book for a Sunday school study. Um, I've never read the book. I've read excerpts from it. Um, it's heresy. I mean, it's it's not. If you're wondering where I was going with that, it's heresy. Um, but you have all these places of worship filled with people who have so little of God's word in their hearts that they they just clamor for the latest and greatest ray of hope there. It's just a temporary hope. So many people tripping over themselves when they have the word of God right there. Uh, just as an aside, later the boy came out and said that the publisher uh, uh, convinced him to make up this story and that it actually wasn't real and, and that uh, it was all a lie and all that sort of stuff, just so you know. But, uh, yeah, you had all these people. They were just, it, it was amazing. Just There were just so so much of, oh, this little boy says heaven is real, so so we know it's real. You have the word of God Almighty saying heaven is real. There's your hope. So in times of peril, we cannot afford to depend on our feelings or what someone told us or anything else that is not the word of God. Look at Peter and John here. Look at them. They knew the word of God. We, we talked about this earlier with Charles. He said, how did they know to do the things to, to get the new apostle? They studied the scriptures. They wanted to know what all this meant. And they, they dug in deep into the word, and it was there. And you see this throughout Acts, and you see it throughout Romans, of how every time something comes up, they dig into the word, and they say, this is why this is happening. This is, this is the hope. This is the message. We have to hide his word in our hearts, delight in his word, and not forget his word. The third way they prayed is they asked for boldness. So if we go to verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Notice that they didn't ask for the persecution to end. They didn't ask for their circumstances to be changed. They asked for boldness to preach the word. Let me say that again. They asked for boldness to preach the word. That was their focus. It wasn't about the circumstances. It wasn't about what was happening to them. It was about, give me the strength to go out and preach your word to a dying people. That's the reality. If we look at Isaiah 55:11, it says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Um, as I was reading through this, I was trying to uh, search for some recent articles on um, like street preachers being arrested for preaching, that sort of thing. And I found something from, I don't know, it was 2013 or something. But um, basically, uh, some had shown up at a gay pride event and started started reading the Bible or preaching or something. I, I don't know all the specifics, um, but they got arrested for um, felony. I don't know what it was, but all the charges were eventually dropped and thrown out, and, and the court said they had as much right to be there. 
But I was reading the comments from this. That's always very telling when you read the comments on any story, what people are commenting and everything. And I found it very interesting that there was a, um, a non-believer that was commenting on this, but they said, uh, from what I can understand, these people are concerned that those that were taking part in this, uh, this pride march were sinners and would die in their sin and would be separated from God. So while I don't agree with what they did, you've got to hand it to them that they were so concerned for the lost, what they called the lost, that they would show up and risk being arrested to save them from something. And it it was, you know, that wasn't exactly what they, you know, word for word, but that was the gist of what they were saying, that this unbeliever who looked into the situation saw that... um, the people were so concerned that they risked being arrested just to just to save these people. It wasn't about them hating them. It was about them truly loving those who were dying in sin and trying to rescue them. And so um, I, that's that's a witness to the world that it's it's really about love. So the point is, in times of peril, we must know the word. Um. Finally, what did they do? After their prayer, they returned to speaking the word. So if we look at verse 31, it said, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The Holy Spirit, who is the author of Scripture, filled them and gave them the ability to go on proclaiming the gospel. And and I think if we take home anything from this, it's, in, in these circumstances, in, in any circumstances of peril, of either persecution or uh, natural disasters or anything like that, our prayer should be for, for, the, for those people, and our prayer should be that we're able to go out and proclaim the word of God because in reality, that's what it's about. It's about salvation. It's about salvation through the name, the only name, Jesus Christ. So the point is, in times of peril, we must speak the word with boldness. So in conclusion, uh, today is a perilous time to be a Christian. Now, we don't suffer persecution, anything, like our brothers and sisters in, in China, just those updates we get every other month or so about what's going on over there and, and, and all of that. Um, but... The times are changing. The, culture's cha- the culture has changed. And so we need to be prepared. It, it, it's going to be more and more perilous to speak the word of God. And we need to look to Peter and John. They were persecuted and imprisoned, but they prayed for more boldness to preach the gospel. Again, they didn't pray for a new administration. They didn't. Uh, those are good things. But they prayed, their focus was still on the gospel. It was still spreading the word. Their one concern was bringing the word to the world. And God answered their prayer. They received that boldness and preached the gospel. Um, These may be perilous times today, but that's irrelevant. God is still the God of Abraham, of Jacob. 
He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the great I Am. And in these perilous times, we must draw nearer to our church family, we must study the word, and we must pray for boldness to preach the gospel. And God will give you that grace and boldness. And uh, before we close, I'd like to just look at 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 2. It says, working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation.